I'm reading this morning from the book of Daniel, chapter 11, verses 29, through to our key verse for this series, verse 32. At the time appointed, he shall return. This is talking about that great king who is trying to make a great name for himself. He literally took it upon himself, Antiochus IV Epiphanes, meaning great splendid one. He shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before, for ships of Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw and turn back and be enraged. All this happened, Daniel is prophesying way after his time scale into the future. This actually happened. And now, when this despotic, power-hungry, egocentric ruler gets enraged, what happens? You see, the real rage is against God, his purposes, and his people. And the Jewish people, back in that day as well as today, are key in the outworking of God's purposes on the planet. So he is enraged, and what does he do? And take action against the holy covenant that's God's covenant with the Jewish people and so now he turns his attention towards Judah by now the exiles had returned but they're still in trouble the Greek Empire is in full swing and they're forcing Greek culture on Jews and making them not follow not allowing them to follow their own religion in, in freedom He'll be enraged and take action against the Holy Covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant, looking for collaborators. A fifth column that he could do the worst devastation. One of the great problems today is not just the enemy without, it's the enemy within. People who worm their way into churches and people who try to seduce us away from the purity of truth and relationship with Christ, which is our spiritual birthright. Verse 31. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and take away the regular burnt offering. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. That's the abomination of desolation. We've spoken about it in the series. And at this manifestation, it was Antiochus IV, Epiphanes, who sacrificed pig's blood on the restored temple altar to, in honor of the false Greek god Zeus. Appalling. But it doesn't end there. Verse 32, this is our verse. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action I have lived knowingly through two significant earthquakes the first was in the 60s when I was a boy walking from my home to the workplace of my parents, which was a service station and a garage managed by my mother and father. And I was, if you think I'm young and carefree now, usually see me in those days. 
I'm running, skipping along, dancing, singing, and I notice that the lampposts are joining me. They are dancing. I thought, oh, this is wonderful. It was surreal. I didn't really understand it. I thought, oh, this is amazing. Everything is responding to me. When I got to the service station, all the oil cans that are there in the reception area and some of the other products that you are for sale had fallen from the shelves. My mother and my father were panicking. Oh, you're safe, you're safe. Of course I'm safe. I've just come from home. Well, we've just been in an earthquake. So I said, is that why the poles were dancing? And the second time I was in a significant earthquake was last year in the Philippines. I was welcomed by an earth-moving experience. I remember the occasion very clearly. I was high up in this new modern hotel, and because it's on the Pacific Ring, Ring of Fire, the Philippines, are, I think they got their technology from Japan, but the, you know, the hotel was able to go with the flow. But uh, what extraordinary effects. First of all, before the earthquake, I'm having a time of prayer, but it was one of those extraordinary ones. And it was a lot of praying in tongues, a very strange tongue. Praying in tongues is a gift of the Spirit for intercession. You're praying in a language you've never learned and don't necessarily understand, although God gives you the interpretation. But it was very strong, and I knew something significant was about to happen. And it did. The room began to sway. The floor began to move. It looked like at least six feet one way, six feet the other way. And I thought, this is amazing. And then a ripple in the floor came like that, a solid structure. No, it's an extraordinary phenomenon. It was like a wave. And I knew, <laughs> clever man that I am, that I was in an earthquake. We were preserved, of course. But what do you do when the tech plates are shifting beneath your feet. There are seismic shifts in Western culture, shifts away from our foundations in Christ and the gospel, moving in every which direction. How, what do you do when the ground under your feet is shaking and shifting and moving and the foundations are collapsing? What do you do? Well, you stand firm. And you, at that moment, realize that your feet are grounded on the rock, Christ Jesus, not even the physical foundation that you are at actually standing on. The pressure is upon us to back down in so many ways rather than stand up for Christ. The reality of God and faith in Christ in particular is being increasingly opposed and marginalized with hostility and it is going to increase and increase. God alone knows the measure to which the enemy will be successful this decade. We are praying and we believe we can make a difference in prayer and intercession. But never, never, never will we back down. God is looking for people who will stand firm in their Christian faith and convictions and testimony and tell the devil and anybody else who happens to be following the devil that we ain't going nowhere. Sorry, should I put it in English? We're going nowhere. We are here to stay 
and the kingdom which is now invisible and so easily dismissible by you out there is the kingdom that's going to prevail and every other kingdom is going to be swallowed up by this kingdom and there'll be a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. We are on the winning side. Even though now it's as if we're living in exile. That's why my message title for the series is Radical Exiles. And there is one sure way of staying victorious under pressure. Your faith. Which is supernatural. Indestructible. And is capable of silencing the enemy and overthrowing him and overcoming him in every manifestation, particularly in your own life. Your faith is this supernatural gift from God. It has the power to make sure that you do not cave in and that you are not overcome by evil, but that you overcome evil with good. 1 John 5 verses 4 to 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes, not just believing anything or believing everything, but he who believes one thing in particular, he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now God always prepares his people for what's coming ahead. And we are, have had a lot of this. I've let out the prophetic revelation bit by bit and been consistent in this. This is the fourth year of our 2020 vision and it will conclude at the end of 2020. Three years we've spent preparing ourselves to grow spiritually, to grow numerically and to grow in our influence in society. This year, we're going to see multiplication of cells. We're going to see growth. And we are going to fulfill the vision that God has given to us. Because this was not a management vision that we got together as church managers and devised some way to keep us busy and occupied for the next number of years. This came out of a prophetic revelation of what the 2020s would bring. It is already happening. Some of the things that I spoke about concerning changes in the royal family are beginning to happen. Also, we know, as we've been reading, how violence is increasing right across Europe against Christian institutions and Christian uh, buildings and monuments. We also have seen the incredible rise of anti-Semitism. There is something happening in this decade, and, uh, and we have to be ready for it. I've been preparing you for it. And I was really happy this last week as we were sharing all the fruits and results of our 2020 vision and listening to testimonies. Do you know what? I really believe you are stronger spiritually now and we as a church stronger spiritually than we were three years ago. Thank you cell leaders and leaders who have been working hard on this. We need to learn more about how to reach out to others and make sure that we grow in numbers as well and influence, but we are going in the right direction. Now, the prophetic revelation was and is twofold. First of all, that the 2020s will bring greater tests than we've ever experienced, greater pressures, and they are ahead and they will come. 
But also alongside that is the promise of God that there is a potential this decade for a greater triumph than we've ever experienced. A greater move of God, certainly different from what we've experienced in before, before because God's power is absolute and definitely stronger than anything the enemy is planning. Back in the day, 1990s, when we were hosting and participating in Maurice Sorello's mission to London, he would bring sometimes the most extraordinary, blessed, gifted, and charismatic leaders from around the world to speak to us. And there was none more blessed, gifted, and Pentecostal, if not charismatic, uh, was R.W. Schambach. Anybody remember him? He passed away in 2012, about 15 years after he made the pronouncement about discouragement. I love that guy. He was so Pentecostal, he had to do was say his name three times and you were speaking in tongues already. Shamach, Shamach, Shamach. And he was, he was riding the crest of an incredible wave, hanging ten, as they say in surfing language. And he had testified of how he'd been through some illness, some crisis of health, and he had bounced back from it larger than life and full of life, and he said something like this. I can't say it the way he said it, but uh, he said something like this. Ah, devil! <laughs> you should have killed me when you had your chance, but it's over now. I am not dead. I'm back, and I'm giving you trouble from now onwards. He lived for another 15 years died aged 85. And this shows us that we should place ourselves not on the side of the collaborators, but the resistance. Not those who collaborate with social trends and allow those social trends to infiltrate and influence us. Yes, the trends in society should drive us to our knees and deeper into God's compassion and love for people who are confused and bound up and tied up into all kinds of different ideas and confusions. It's as if there is a mastermind at work. And I don't think there's a conspiracy as such. You don't have to look further than the invisible realm to know that the principalities and powers are spewing forth their ideology and seeking to shake our faith, and also to restrict the gospel's influence in our nation. So now is the time. Now is the time to know that you believe. Let's begin there. Knowing that you believe. John talks about being born of God and linking that with faith. The fuller understanding is that we are born again by the Spirit of God and that is, that is linked to our coming to faith in Christ. Are you born again is the question. Are you a believer in Christ? Do you know for certain that if you died tonight, you'd go to heaven, not because of your righteousness, because of the strong name of Jesus and the grace of God that will take you there? If you can't say yes to that today, get to say it now. In this service, don't leave this place without committing your life to Christ. After the service, remind me. 
I'll make sure I put something in your hand that will help you take your first steps on your journey of faith. Amen and amen. Know that you believe. Very important for Christian parents. One of the uh, um, primary members of Solomon Osagi's primary group uh, spoke about how when young people in their uh, uh, fellowship and network, their, their group of cells, men and women, when they, when they go through education, go off to college, they are in touch with them, and not one of those young men or women has lost their faith, despite the fact that some of the first lectures they say, that they speak about, uh, that you get to experience depending what subjects you're in, but they will say, if you believe in God, now you will not believe in God by the time you finish this course. It is an open challenge to our young people's faith. We need to equip them. And our young people need to go knowing that they are believers in Christ. And what that means isn't just I go to church because my parents go to church. I was baptized at this age. No, no, no. It's they have a personal faith which is a gift from God and they are supernaturally renewed new creations in Christ Jesus. Know that you believe. Secondly, now is the time to know what you believe. Some of the most dangerous words to say in public in our society, which is influenced by people who deny this out of their own book, Jesus Christ is God manifested in the flesh and he is the son of God. And many of these are very skilled in twisting words of Scripture so they could confuse many people to show, well, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. He never claimed to be the Son of God. This is wrong. This is blasphemy. And yet we need to be able from the Scripture to prove that Jesus is the Christ and not only be able to give a good reason why we say that he is the Son of God, but have a good reason for every question they ask us concerning any aspect of our faith, because our faith is, whatever else it is, it's a reasonable faith. In fact, it is the only reasonable position to adopt when you take all the evidence that's available. Now, I know many of you don't particularly wish to become apologists and learn arguments. I wish more of you did. But if you remain attuned to the Holy Spirit and somebody asks you a question and you can't answer it, don't just say, never mind, let's speak in tongues. Shambak, shambak, shambak. No, you say, I will find out. Know what you believe and why you believe. Because if you don't know why you believe, you don't know why you're doing anything, then you're unstable. Know what you believe, know why you believe, but then also, finally, know, well, I've done it, haven't I? Know what you believe, know uh, that you believe, what you believe, and why you believe. Okay. Now, I, I want to tell you that uh, I have been greatly helped in getting to grips once again with the book of Daniel by the ESV Study Bible. And I want to make this um, little plug for you today. Make sure you've got a good study Bible because it gives you some background and information and that will help you as you read and seek to understand the scriptures. The ESV study Bible, I think, is, is just one of the best. It's not the only one, it's one of the best. And it's available in two forms. The ESV student study Bible, which is a bit smaller, not so much content, but a good start. And then the full ESV Study Bible. 
Go online and buy it. If they don't have it in the bookshop, buy it. Or go down to the bookshop, ask them to get it for you. But do a bit of research on that. I'm, I said all that to say this. I've got uh, in front of me a cut and paste from the online version of nine key themes from the book of Daniel. I am so tempted to read it all out to you because it really is a good uh, description of the book of Daniel. But I'll resist that temptation and go only to this point which is relevant for our text. The exile was not the end of Israel's history of rebellion. In other words, when they returned back to the land after Daniel's day. It was not the end of Israel's history of rebellion and judgment. In the future, God, uh, Israel would again transgress against the Lord and Jerusalem would be handed over to the power of the enemies who would trample her temple and do abominable things. That's what we've just been reading. Eventually, the anointed ruler, that is Christ, the Christ, not just the rescuers of that generation, who did rise up in revolt and establish a new Jewish kingdom that lasted over a hundred years, which saw them not only restore the temple and worship and pure worship of God, they also reoccupied all, nearly all the lands that Joshua had promised would be theirs. A remarkable kingdom. But that was only a pale reflection of the true Messiah who would come and establish not a kingdom that takes territories and kills people in doing so, but a kingdom that does not fight with the weapons of earthly warfare, but a kingdom that is to do with the rule and reign of God in our hearts. A kingdom of peace, a kingdom of love, and a kingdom of redemption. So, in the midst of this, we have the statement, he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. Then it goes on to the section that I'm really preaching on. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. But I want you to know about this church, if you don't know it already, we are a word and a spirit church. Now, the key to any verse is its context. That's why I read more of the context this morning. And let me sketch it out for you. Here's what is happening. When the pressure is on, you have a choice. The choice is to go with the new flow, keep your head down, don't say boo to a goose, don't do anything to upset anybody, and keep your faith so private and so personal that nobody will ever see it, and soon you won't be able to find it again. Or you can say, no, I will stand up and be faithful to the Lord. Now, the two were divided in the text that we're talking about in that context, divided by their attitude towards the covenant. The enemy's desire was to break that covenant and attack the covenant. And the covenant is the basis of the people of God's relationship with him. The old covenant, it was set up in one form. In the new covenant, it's set up in another form. We are new covenant believers, but we are to be faithful to that covenant. We are not to be collaborators, but we're to be part of the resistance. Next week, I'll tell you about the revolt that took place, the Jewish revolt, the Maccabean revolt. And I'm not asking for a revolt. I'm not asking for a revolution other than a revolution of love. But I want to instill in you today the spirit 
of resistance. We resist the devil in the name of Jesus. All right. Now, our French Bible school in Marseille, which is now an online Bible school, and the language school was hosted in a building which we hired in a beautiful, an avenue beautifully named in Marseille, the Avenue de la Libération, Liberation Avenue. It was named after the Second World War when the Allied armies liberated France from the Nazi occupying forces. Liberation. And when liberation took place, there was a lot of score settling. Because during the Nazi occupation there, you had the collaborators and those who were aligned with the resistance. Resistance fighters were very brave. They lost, had a lot of casualties. But the collaborators had an easy life. And they sided with the enemy for their own profit, their own gain, their own peace of mind. And I don't want to judge anybody. We don't know what it would be like if you have to say, you, you become a spy for me, I'm going to kill your wife. What would you do? It's happened all over the world. Now, that is the Second World War. At the end of it, those collaborators were cruelly treated and because they'd been disloyal and traitors to their own country. That's the history. But now for us, are you a collaborator or are you part of the resistance? I don't mean to split you down the middle and ask you to identify yourself, but the point is, is this. We cannot afford to appease the tyrant. We cannot afford to collaborate with the occupying forces, the spiritual forces that are occupying our land. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. We don't take up swords. What we do is use the weapons of our warfare, which are mighty in God, to the pulling down of strongholds. We use the full armor of God, spiritual weapons of prayer, intercession, faith, protection, righteousness, all those kind of things. I, why do I highlight this? Because what I see, and I'm praying heavily into it, that during this decade, there will be many people, grant that not one of us, or anyone under the sound of my voice today is included in this, but there will be people who will find it so tough, they won't be strong enough to stand, and they will give in and become, in one way or another, a collaborator. But I want Kensington Temple to be a church of resistance, where we do not side with the enemy, we stay faithful to the covenant, and we remain strong, and that we actually resist what's happening and more than resist, overcome, become overcomers. That's why this next topic is about faith. Last week, I spoke about knowing God, being faithful to the covenant. This week, it's talking about standing firm. Standing firm as part of the resistance, not capitulating as part of the collaboration. Meaning this, meaning that we stand strong in our faith. We are faithful, full of faith. The first aspect of this is saving faith. And that is an experience. It's about meeting Christ in a supernatural encounter. But it also has content, believing the word, believing the gospel. And this is a supernatural gift from God. Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 10, you know it very well. For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the gift of faith is a supernatural operation of the Holy Spirit. And when you have it, you know it. And it's like, I know that 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 I know I'm saved and born again. How do you know? Well, I believe that Jesus Christ died for me. And I confess with my mouth that God raised him from the dead. Amen and amen. It's make sure you are super established in saving faith. There is no other message that should seduce you. That's what this is that what this man was trying to do. He will seduce with flattery those who were violating the covenant. Those who weren't remaining firm, he seduced them and drew them away and they became collaborators. More of that next week. No, we are not going to be seduced or drawn away from our position in Christ. No other message, no other ideology, no other philosophy, no other religion confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord and is God in the full evangelical sense of the scriptures. There's no other way. No other name. But that in itself is fighting words. How dare you say all other religions are wrong? I never said that. There may be a bit of truth in a lot of religions. But I tell you this, there's only one way of salvation. and His name is Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, you give up all religion anyway and become a disciple of Christ. You won't have me regularly, Sunday by Sunday, forever. So you I'm going to give you what I got before I move on into my next phase of ministry. I'll always be here, but not in the same way. So I'm, I'm really laying it on. I want, you, I want to make sure that you will remember me and you remember what I teach and why I teach it. And that will launch you into God's purposes and whatever else happens and is for the future. Saving faith, number one. Number two, miracle working faith. This is part of it. To be strong and do exploits, those exploits are exploits of faith. Read Hebrews 11 again. All those deeds were deeds of faith in which they pursued and overcame, which they endured suffering. It was all by faith, supernatural faith. And just as saving faith is supernatural, so miracle working faith is supernatural. It's a manifestation of the Spirit. In Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about the manifestation of the Spirit. And faith is part of that. Working of miracles is part of that. It's there, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 11. It's there for you to look at later. Now, miracle working faith, what is this? A good description of this is something like this. I've read this and I've expanded and I think it's a good definition. Faith, the gift of faith, the manifestation of faith in the Spirit is a sudden and supernatural surge of confidence, indeed unbreakable confidence, that God intends to do something extraordinary through you. We're going to have to rise to the gift of faith. There will be times when you will be called upon to speak a word of faith which will manifest the kingdom 
in signs and wonders and miracles in the decade to come and we will be surprised at who will do it. It won't just be the pontificators on the platform. It'll be you who are engaged cheek by jowl against the enemy in your workplace, your school, your home, and your community. You need to know to stand how to stand up in the name of Jesus and declare a thing to be done and it shall be done. Declare a thing to be finished. It shall be finished. Declare something to be closed, somebody to be removed by the Holy Spirit. Don't do it on your own. We work together, but there will be moments when we will make pronouncements which will move mountains and demonstrate that Jesus Christ is real and alive. Know also that one of the ways that God develops your faith is by increasing the pressure. How many people, don't be fooled by my question, it's a trick question. How many people want to grow strong in faith? Don't say it inside, but well, God's going to give you more pressure then. That's what he's going to give you testing because testing is one of the ways he develops our faith. The devil tries to seduce us and tempt us and take us away from faith, but God allows tests to come and trials to come so that we may grow strong in faith. Faith tested is faith triumphant. Faith tested is faith purified and faith rewarded. And because our faith is what overcomes the world, actually, if you remember, the scripture said, this is the victory that has overcome the world. The victory is already won. Christ has won the victory. We step into that victory and we assert his triumphant victory through the faith that God inspires in us. Faith under pressure. This is the faith that enables you to resist. If you're going to be part of the resistance, you need to know how to resist and this is how you resist. Let me read the whole passage. 1 Peter chapter 5, 6 through 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. The people who know, who know their God shall stand firm. That's what it's talking about. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, and the suffering is, is everything to do by way of resistance. You don't suffer when you go with the flow, but when you resist man alive, you then, then all hell breaks loose, especially if you do so for the name of Jesus. The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, we are living in an alien environment. That's why we're like exiles in a foreign land. But that's not the whole story. 
the whole story is, is that this world belongs to God, not the devil. And we need to be able to stand up and resist and say, we're going nowhere. We're not going to cave in. We're not going to get the heaven out of here. We are here to stay because God's kingdom is coming. And it will continue to come. And one day it will come in the fullness of Christ's return. And we will inherit everything that we see. This is our world. We're going to inherit it. Amen and amen. So we don't back off. We don't withdraw. We don't hide in our Christian ghettos. Close the door. Close the blinds. Be quiet. Just say hallelujah quietly just in case the devil hears us. Just in case people outside say them Christians in there. No, 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 no. We fling wide the doors. We go out into the highways and byways. We may need to float like a butterfly and sting like a bee with wisdom, with care, with love, with inclusion, without condemnation, demonstrating the reality of Christ in our lives more than ever before. But we are here to stay. So the first part of this exhortation or statement of fact, those who know their God shall stay firm. That's talking about our decision and our commitment. But that is matched by an even greater decision and even greater commitment of God himself because as we stand firm and endure and resist, God himself will do all those things which we just read. Let me read them again. He will restore. Any people need restoration? He will restore you. You don't have to be in an ever-ending line of people being prayed for to receive inner healing. Get your inner healing. Get strong. Stay firm. And God will continue to restore you, which is a lifelong process. Oh, no, no, no. Don't join a cell. You're so weak. You need, you need, you need a bit of inner healing. You're going to get what you need in the cell ministry. Amen and amen. And in our program, you get, get inner healed at least three times. First of all, in the pre-encounter uh, um, um, context, and then during the encounter, and then in the post-encounter, in the living free, we make sure that every single person is released from the hurts and the breaks and the pains that have come to them. And then we step out of our hurts into the fullness of Jesus Christ, because we are those who know our God and shall be strong. And then he comes on and puts the icing and the ice cream and the cherry and the cream on top of the cake and says, I will restore you. I will confirm you. I will strengthen you. I will establish you. So even this is not about human effort, but it's about human mindset. When we say, I am setting myself in the direction of God and his kingdom. I'm turning my back and I'm resisting the devil, the devil and God will strengthen you. I can tell you something. I've known it many, many times. And, I, and times like this, I know, I know it's not me. It's not my piety. It's not the 
false reverence that they put in front of your name in Elam ordination. I, God's name is reverend, not mine. When they give you the, it's not those titles that strengthen you. When I step out of the senior leadership here and move into being a simple member of the church, linked to Kensington Temple, representing Kensington Temple over the world, not one ounce of my anointing will diminish when I step off this platform. I will take that anointing to the nations of the world because God strengthens me. No position strengthens me. No title strengthens me. God strengthens me. And that's the anointing he's committed to me. And you have it also. Go ahead, give him a praise. He will strengthen you. He will establish you. Then you can say to him, be dominion forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Titi, lie, lie. That's a bit of Yoruba for my friends. Hallelujah. So the people who know their God shall stand firm. Are you going to stand firm? Yes. Pray for one another. Help one another. When the ground is moving under our feet and the foundations of society are crumbling and the pillars of society are being removed, we will be here and we will uphold our society through our faith in Jesus Christ and our God-given ability to make him known. This is the one sure fireway way of staying victorious under pressure. This is the victory that has overcome the world, your faith. Don't be overcome. Be an overcomer in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen.